Hello, and welcome back to Falling Out. It has now been a couple weeks since the assassination of Shinzo Abe, and it's been very encouraging to see how the media in Japan has taken this moment to reflect upon the corruption in Japan. They've written a lot about how the Unification Church is rampant in its influence in the political class in Japan. And they've also written a lot about the abuse of church members in Japan. And that's incredibly heartening to see, but it's been incredibly disheartening to see the lack of that level of introspection anywhere outside of Japan. When the enabling of the human trafficking empire that is the Unification Church continues to happen in the U.S., in the U.K., and pretty much any westernized country, it's still happening and no one's really looking there. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this season, I wanted to start ratcheting up the pressure and the activism against some people who have benefited from that human trafficking. And as a result, in the last week or so, I released a video. It was actually recorded in March. It was for a UK-based charity called the Family Survival Trust that works with cult survivors. But I didn't release it immediately and I wasn't exactly sure exactly when or how I was going to do it until this Abe thing happened and it now seems like there is a bit of public willingness to look at this issue of VIPs and their association with the Unification Church. So that video is now public and I'll link to it in the show notes and in that video I specifically call out two individuals Jose Manuel Barroso, current chairman of Goldman Sachs and Dr. Sarah Gilbert, currently with Oxford University, but also affiliated with AstraZeneca and the inventor of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. Both Barroso and Gilbert have spoken at Mooney events. They have lended their credence to the so-called movement, which has furthered the cycle of abuse internally. And odds are they have also accepted human trafficked money to appear at these events. So in that video, I specifically call them out. And I specifically say that I want to use the anti-human trafficking charters that both Goldman Sachs and AstraZeneca say that they adhere to as a way to bring accountability to these people. And so in the past week, I have submitted ethics reports to both Goldman and AstraZeneca. I haven't heard back from AstraZeneca yet, but I have heard back from Goldman Sachs. I sent them a detailed report outlining how their chairman has profited from human trafficking and has also gone on the record praising a known human trafficker, a.k.a. Hak Jahan. And I outlined all this to Goldman Sachs ethics violation hotline. And they got back to me with a single sentence. It read, thank you for filing this report. That was it. Man, fuck you, Goldman Sachs. Your fucking chairman is taking money from the Moonies. And that's the fucking response I get. Okay, this is where you come in as a listener. Or this is where you, you're going to come in soon. So the next step is escalation. And I haven't quite figured out exactly what that looks like. But I'm definitely escalating this. And at some point, I'm probably going to call on you as a listeners to get involved. So please stay tuned. I hope to have some updates for you. I'm figuring this shit out, and my plan is basically to use 
but also in Gilbert as test cases as to what the actual pain points are that can be exploited to bring accountability to these motherfuckers. And once we figure that out, then there's a thousand more of these fucking cunts that we can go after. So stay tuned. And at some point, yes, I think I will be asking you, the listeners, for help in terms of writing letters and stuff. I just need to figure out what the maximum points of pressure are to be exploited. And that's something that I will happily be experimenting with and reporting the results back to you on this show. In other developments in the last couple of weeks, this has been a fucking mental couple of weeks, by the way. So I was contacted by someone, a Japanese national currently in prison in the U.S. They're in prison for the premeditated rage killing of someone... And it's directly related to that person's relation to the Unification Church. So in other words, if all this checks out, it's a second Unification Church-related premeditated rage killing. This guy told this to me via DM in prison, and I need to be careful what I say because he told me he doesn't want to go to solitary confinement if the warden finds out that he's been communicating outside of prison. Trust me, this is not a position I ever thought I would be in, and yet here I am. So here's the thing. I've gone to the media, everyone I know in the media, and no one has really bit on this story, and I think that's fucking crazy. A second premeditated Unification Church rage killing, premeditated to the point that this guy flew from the US, from excuse me, from Japan to rule USA had to take like three flights and a rental car to get there. He literally told me the exact route that he that he took to go perform this murder. That's the level of premeditation that happened here. And yeah, imagine receiving that fucking DM. Jesus Christ. Anyway, no one's no one's really writing about this, and I think this is a big fucking deal. So if anyone is out there, like contact me. I can point you in the right direction for this story. This person is actually in jail in the U.S. and would like to talk to someone. And um, I think they should be spoken with. And I have to say, all of the facts check out from what I can see. The story seems to check out. And the craziest thing is that when this guy performed this murder, he told the cops about the UC connection. And they didn't know what to do with it. And it was never reported in the media. And after he pled guilty and he went to jail... He wrote letters to the Japanese media and told them about the connection to the Unification Church, and they didn't write anything about it. And to hear his side of the story, he thinks that points to the amount of influence and sway that the Unification Church holds in the Japanese media. Now, that looks to be potentially crumbling a bit now in the wake of Abe's assassination, but I think that's something that someone should look into. Probably like an experienced journalist, not me. (laughs) But I can point the right person in the right direction, so come talk to me if you're interested. Okay, so I think that brings you up to speed on my last two weeks. This shit has been bonkers. Now let's talk about this episode. So this was a different one, and I'm so excited to have been able to do this. So this is with two people who did not grow up in the Moonies. Um, this is with Chris Kavanaugh, who's a cognitive anthrop- anthropologist, and with Matthew Brown, who's a psychologist. They both host an amazing podcast called Decoding the Gurus, which looks at the, the secular guru sphere, the likes of Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, these sorts of folks, and 
points out the flaws in the reasoning of some of these folks, points out some of the logical fallacies that they are falling victim to and that their followers are following victim to. And I think it's a particularly salient point of reference for folks who grew up in a cult to listen to folks who specifically focus their careers on understanding how people get sucked into nonsensical beliefs, which is more or less what these guys focus on. And this first episode is me having a conversation with them about the the types of coercion that I experienced and that we experienced in the Moonies and how that's related to the overall sort of secular guru sphere that they cover on their show. I think everyone should check out their show. And I really want you to stick around for part two with these guys because I think it could be a cornerstone episode of this podcast because in part two, I sit down with them and we actually listen to the words of Reverend Moon and we give him the joint decoding treatment. And we talk about the ways that he's communicating, specifically how he's able to say certain words and phrases that mean one thing to the outsiders in the room and mean something completely different to the insiders in the room. And that's a really fascinating conversation. So I hope you'll listen to this, which is the prelude to that, because I think it's important to understand these guys and where they're coming from and the overall context before we get to part two, which is where we decode Revan Moon with the folks from Decoding the Gurus. All the information about Decoding the Gurus will be in the show notes. I hope you give that show a listen. I love it. I love these guys. We had a great time. Here it is, my interview with Chris Kavanaugh and Matt Brown. Okay, so we have with us now uh, Elgin Street from the Falling Out podcast. Um, so welcome, Elgin. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm a fan of your show, and it's uh, yeah, that's, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, the the feeling is reciprocal. And um, actually, I think I became aware of your show when you appeared on QAnon anonymous and they had yep. the uh extended uh episode with you and they had just before that um covered the the group who i always forget i think I, when we spoke last time i asked you the name as well but the offshoot of the many yeah they go by a couple of different names one of them is sanctuary church one of them is the rod of iron ministries um the they probably go they probably go by a few other ones, quite honestly. I mean, well, that's a recurring theme is the, the ever-changing carousel of, of names for these things. But that's that. those are some of the names that they go by. Yeah. So um, and, um, for our listeners, uh, we'll have talked about this in the intro, but the Falling Out podcast is a podcast about leaving the Moonies, the, uh, I guess, cult group and, and, and all their cults as focusing on people primarily children who grew up within the movements and, and particularly the moonies but i think this season you're you're expanding out to look at uh other cults I'm, I'm starting to yeah that, that's i'm starting to, to cast my gaze there still i mean that's i i speak the language of the moonies for for better or for worse so that's what i'm familiar with but there there are a lot of similarities and when you talk to people who've left cults a lot of the things 
a lot of the reasons they leave is just listening to other people who like other cults and they can spot the similarities. So I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of learnings to be shared. I just haven't quite gotten there yet because I'm just really been focused on, on shedding light on the, the corruption and abuse and hypocrisy of the environment that, that we all grew up in. Yeah. And I, I, I have to say that the, the podcast in, it involves interviews with other uh, now adults who, who grew up in, in the Moonies. And some of the episodes are quite tough, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting resource. Um, and Elgin, the normal thing that people, when they're interviewing people, do <laughs> is ask at the start about the, you know, who you are and, and what you do. And I suspect a lot of people will have heard of the Moonies and have a vague idea but but probably similar to me there'll be a lot of details they're not clear on so um could you introduce the the podcast and and the the who the moonies are as well um for people who don't know sure yeah absolutely well yeah the the, uh, the uh, i'll talk about the moonies first and then i'll talk about the 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 show um so the moonies is a cult obviously they don't like it if you call them that, but that is the case. And they are one of the most infamous ones. Um, They were founded by a guy, unsurprisingly, with the last name Moon, Sun Myung Moon. Um, He was born in North Korea in 1920. Um, And he had a a revelation. He claims he had a revelation one day um, that uh, effectively was a message from God telling him that... uh, some quite heretical things, quite honestly, in the grand scheme of like Christianity, um, basically saying that, uh, God, where do I even begin with this? But okay, so um, two core tenets. I'll, I'll, one of them is that effectively Jesus failed in his mission, uh, and Jesus was meant to, to marry and have a family. Um, and therefore, um, because, because Jesus so, Jesus, Jesus was crucified. He failed in his mission. The entire course of human history had been building up to um, including like massive wars and movements of people and stuff like that. All that was building up to, you'll never guess, um, the so-called providential conditions to be met, to be, to be set for the Messiah to be born in Korea. And you'll never guess who God told Moon should be the Messiah. <laughs> um surprise surprise it was him um and so uh yeah so i think he was 16 when that happened he he claims he had a revelation that god told him he was the messiah basically um and as part of that i think and this ties into the theology behind the whole the whole thing is it's it's very much um it's a it's a bizarre mix of um extremely puritanical beliefs on sex um combined with also extremely sort of um an extremely sort of like graphic fixation on sex by by the um by by the cult leader and i i guess what i mean by that is um so we were told as kids that um all of human suffering was caused by adam and eve having sex with each other when they weren't supposed to um and actually, just to be a little, just to drill into that a little bit, it, technically, it was actually Eve having sex with Satan, uh, and then having sex with Adam. Um, so, 
That's a really yeah. good <laughs> slightly yes. I hadn't heard of. <laughs> I, it doesn't surprise that you haven't heard of that. Um, and so uh, effectively all of human suffering, uh, the, the entire history of human suffering started from that moment of these people having sex when they weren't meant to. Um, and according to church theology, when Moon eventually achieved his position as um, so-called Messiah, um, he was able to change the sinful blood lineage of people. Uh, and therefore, by virtue of my parents both being, being members of his church and having their blood lineage changed, according to him, I have special magical blood um, that makes me a so-called pure, sinless, uh, second generation, uh, Mooney. Um, what, and what about, what about Chris, for instance, How, how's his blood? Uh, it, it would be tainted. It would, it would mm. for sure be tainted. Um, that's, yeah. that's accurate. Uh, I according to the Moonies, but how, however, there's, there, there's levels, there's levels of, of, of taintedness, um, that, that are, uh, the, oh, yeah, there, there are many levels. Uh, technically, um, I now have would have more tainted blood than Chris would, uh, or or Matt would, because I left uh, and I I broke my later. I can tell you about it later, but I later mm. later on had an arranged marriage within the cult. I left that that arranged marriage, um, and as by virtue of leaving that arranged marriage, technically I have like the worst blood in the world. Um, and I will be going to I'm sorry. a, a worse. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> if Moon is to be believed, I will be going to a worse place in hell than Satan or Hitler uh, for my sins. Um, pretty bad guy. And that's yeah. <laughs> Seems slightly unfair. Oh, I'm the. I'm the... <laughs> So should we really be having you on as a guest tonight? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, um, so so no, they don't like most cups. They don't they don't like it when people leave. Um, so yeah. another let me another quick yeah. explanatory question. Um, yeah. when I was when I was you know doing some some reading about yeah. the Moonies to to prepare, it reminded me a lot of uh, the Mormon Church or the Church yeah. of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints in in the sense of being that sort of new kind of um offshoot of christianity and having that sort of you know founder who he got the divine mission and a lot of crazy very similar yeah yeah like joseph smith in in with the mormons like he claimed he went up a mountain one day and and came down and found some tablets that told him that he was the messiah uh and then when you ask him to show (laughs) to show you the tablets he's like oh well i i don't know i can't what i don't have them or what you know whatever surprise surprise uh they're much the same or something yeah Yeah, 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 it's the same thing yeah. Well, I, I, I think South, yeah, so South Park sort of educated the world about the Mormons with that yeah. episode. They, yeah. they, 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 they'll have to do an episode on, um, on um, the unification. Yeah, I would love like it. That. I would love it. But I just I want to I want to go back to like you. So, yes, technically, it's a it's a religious cult. That's that's sort of where it, that's that's where its foundations are. Uh, and as a result, it, um, it, it enjoys religious protections. Uh, and uh, as many, you know, many religions and cults do, um, but it abuses those protections massively, m- insanely. And so I guess to give you some some context there, I mean, this is an organization with hundreds of front groups um, that, cha- they, you know, they, they shut down, they, co- they come back in different forms. Um, 
and it's really hard to keep track of. It's like a, it's like a hydra. You, you chop, you chop off one head and then 10 more, 10 more appear, but um, it's all, it's all effectively funded by, by labor trafficking. It's, it's funded by people who are coerced into living in vans, uh, going around selling trinkets, trinkets, uh, thinking that being convinced that um, spiritually they will be rewarded if they are good fundraisers um, going out and, you know, selling trinkets on the side of the road uh, or, you know, doing various other sort of like door-to-door sales type of type of things. Um, And we're talking, I mean, yeah, they would send, they would send teen, they're, they're still sending teenagers out now uh, on these, these vans around the country in the U S they were sending them out during the COVID pandemic. Um, that didn't stop them. Um, there are kids who have died uh, as a result of doing this this sort of work. Uh, a girl in 2001, an 18 year old girl, uh, was was raped and murdered. Um, we talk about that on my show. I haven't mentioned her name on the show, um, but there are news sources out there that I can refer people to if anyone is interested. Um, so it's not a. This is not a harmless religion. This is this is a place that exploits people tremendously and people people have died there are other other kids who have died as a result of the of the exploitation uh, and the the entire environment is incredibly incredibly abusive um and and that's something that i'm trying to expose on my show and and w- one thing that i've that i've noticed on the show over time to be honest when i first started i didn't really know what i was doing i didn't know what the final sort of output would be but um and it's still changing, but it, it feels like what it is, is sort of painting this, this cumulative picture of all these people who are in an, in an organization that intentionally tries, tries to hide the truth. It tries to, it, it puts up walls and makes people scared to talk about what's happening to them and, and what they, how they feel about what's happening to them. Um, and by just allowing people to talk about what happened to them, you're just, you're painting this, this huge picture and all of a sudden people can, can kind of see beyond the silos and they're like, holy shit, like, okay, I was suffering in silence and I thought it was just me, but actually, no, the whole thing, the whole thing is corrupt and abusive. And that's what you can do by bringing, by bringing these stories to light. Um, so o- over time, that's sort of what I hope the, the impact of the show will be. I, I will say, Eldon, from uh, listening to the show that he, it does two things simultaneously that I think are important. So one is, you know, in some sense, it's a little bit like listening in on therapy to, for mm-hmm. people because you're, uh, you know, making sense of experiences that you've went through and, and having, you know, these quite raw discussions with, with people who are processing what happened to them and, and also, you know, uh, kind of discussing parallels or, or things that were yeah. different that were experienced and and that's that's I think that's really valuable but for someone like me or or other listeners who aren't familiar with the details and and basically don't know you know what it's like to grow up in that kind of environment it it gives insight into like what you know what people go through and and basically the the damage that can be done to people over the course of a lifetime 
right? In, yeah. in, you can imagine that people, and I'm not saying that this is not a, a, like that this response is unjustified, but you can imagine that a lot of people find when they hear details about the Moonies, like kind of funny, right? Or or mm-hmm. unbelievable, right? Because it's uh, the same thing as when you hear some of the claims about, you know, the uh, Joseph Campbell looking into the hat and, and, and reading the things, right? The, the, the theology aspects can be, I'm, I'm, I think it's legitimate to point out what they are, but I, I think your podcast is, is really important as a resource to kind of show the impact um, that, that the Moonies had and has on people. Um, and, and also basically just to give people an insight onto the impact that, you know, growing up, in, in a cult environment can have on people. And I, I, I remember thinking when I came across uh, your podcast that I had previously been interested in Stefan Molnew and, and his community, mm. not as a follower, just to, just to be <laughs> clear, but as, um, you know, as an internet figure. And I found a, a forum which no longer exists, unfortunately, which was from ex-members kind of talking about their experiences um joining his his kind of online cult um and uh and and reading their accounts uh, it was all you know online like the mm-hmm. uh, was very eye opening to me so i i felt the kind of parallel there to okay this yeah. gives you an insight into what people have gone through so yeah i i think your podcast definitely succeeds on on those fronts and uh yeah just uh, I know it's awkward when people it's <laughs> people to the face, but I, I think you're doing something very valuable. So yeah, it, it, it achieves what you're setting out, um, at least from my perspective. Thank yeah, thank you. And I, I guess, yeah, I mean, for me, the best thing is like, like I know people have left the cult as a result of listening. Um, multiple, I've, I've kind of lost count of the number of people who have contacted me and say, hey, thank you so much. Like I've left now as a result of listening to the show, uh, that's the most gratifying thing in the world. Um, and, and recently, um, you know, recently I, I, I learned of, um, I think two cases where it was, it was, um, you know, parents with young kids, um, who were, who were now leaving. So that, that by them leaving, you know, they're going to get the, the next half of their life back. Uh, but they're also giving their kids their, their entire lives back away from, away from this cult. Um, so, that has been extremely gratifying uh, to, uh, to hear that. And um, just makes me, makes me want to keep doing like, I'm doing something right. I'm not a professional, uh, but something's working. So, you know, I just, just want to keep doing it. Um, Yeah. Just before it goes out of my head, you mentioned in your description there about, you know, people being sent out to sell trinkets and, or, or or doing like door to door sales. Yeah. And that the parallel that immediately struck me there is the kind of, you know the structure of multi-level marketing, um, yeah. or, or so. Is that the is or, is getting unpaid labor from members the kind of foundational? I know, like you don't have access to the the, the financial reports, of, <laughs> no. but is that the main like kind of financial support for the group? Is unpaid labor from uh, members that, or? The, um, that's a great question. That that is that is a a massive um layer of financial support but there are 
many others as well. Um, there is a um, a massive grift that they have going on in Japan. Um, it's been going on for decades now, and they they actually went to court. I think it was in the mid nineties, um, where they would effectively go door to door. I mean, it's still at the end of the day, it's, it's a bit of door to door, but the way that they're selling is um, they would find like widows who, who had recently lost a spouse uh, and they would, they would go to them and, and say, Oh my God, I'm like, I'm currently channeling your, your, your husband from the spirit world. Um, and, and uh, he, he's telling me that you need to pay Fifty thousand uh, dollars for for this little like statue to go in your house so that he can be in a good place in heaven, um, and they would go and unfortunately people were susceptible to this this sort of coercion so they would sell these little you know probably ten dollar trinkets to people for fifty thousand uh, dollars under extreme levels of of coercion and, and manipulation, um, and I think at the time I'll need to go back and and, and look at this um, but. I think it was estimated they were making about $300 million a year doing that. Uh, and this was in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just, that's just one. They also, they do, um, well, they, they, um, they effectively traffic in marriages. Uh, so they hold these mass wedding ceremonies in principle to, according to them, to spread the blessing of, of Reverend Moon's lineage. Um, but they're also making a shit ton of money out of those. Um, so, you know, they're getting a few thousand people together. Those few thousand people are all, are all coerced into paying a couple thousand bucks per person as a fee for this, for this wedding. So they're making a few million just in a single day off of that. Um, there's, it, it's, there's, there are many, 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 many grifts. Um, they're also massive in the sushi business. I don't know if you saw recently, but the New York times, um, the New York Times recently did a uh, an article um, about how Reverend Moon in in the seventies more or less created the market for sushi in the U.S. and later in most re- most Western countries, um, and that that was built on the backs of. So let me just drill into that, and I'll tell you I'll tell you what it is what is built on. So. There's a company in the U.S. now. It's called True World Foods. Um, they supply about 90% of the sushi in the U.S. Uh, and a large portion in Europe. Um, so if you're eating sushi anywhere in those countries, chances are it, the money is going to, to the Moonies in some capacity. Um, and it was that business was started primarily by um, or primarily by Japanese church members um, who were brought to the U.S. in the 70s and 80s. And the way that they were brought there was specifically by Moon doing mass weddings and marrying them to Americans and other Westerners. So all of a sudden, he created this conduit whereby he could he could basically circumvent labor labor you know labor laws uh, by just marrying people, uh, and then all of a sudden get them a visa. So he just imported a mass workforce from Japan to start with. And then he paid those people bullshit basically for, for years. Um, so there are stories from that sushi business over the course of decades where, um, they would have, they would have two sets of books, uh, one, one set of books for the, for the, the church members that work there, uh, and one set of books for the non-church members. Uh, so there are two sets of payments, um, 
church church members were paid far less um and uh yeah they were just exploited massively um and that business still still persists to this day uh yeah sorry let me pause and pause there um yeah yeah uh, well it's it, it it reminds me of um well, a, a lot of organized crime, really, which, which yes. has its um, primary methods of um, um, illegal, um, coercive uh, income raising, yeah. but then can transition into, you know, so legitimate inverted commas businesses um, yeah. as, as well. Um, and it, I guess um, the other um, parallel, of course, is with uh, Scientology, which, again, yeah. um, people will be more familiar with and the the methods of coercion and persuasion and, and even, um, you know, people usually refer to it obviously as brainwashing. Um, so so I guess what I'm really interested in from, from our point of view is these methods of persuasion that they use now, um, uh, you know, L Ron Hubbard, it was famously charismatic. Um, and it kind of started with him. Um, but what, what about um, uh, Sun Young Moon? Was was he particularly charis- charismatic? <laughs> That's what people say. Um, <laughs> but I've seen well, okay, I, I've seen videos of him, of him, but I've also been in the same room as him um, multiple times, and so I, I think he started out being charismatic. I, I think he had to be to to pull off the the what is the con of the century in my opinion um but over time by the time i think he was probably in his 70s and 80s when when i was like old enough to be aware that he was who he claimed he was um i think he was getting a bit old and senile um and he just seemed like a raving lunatic but the the interesting thing was for me is sitting in sitting in a room of you know us sort of second generation people uh, as well as first generation people um, in a room with Moon, um, and you could almost see um, basically all, all the first generation people. These are people who who had personally drunk the Kool Aid themselves. Uh, so they they had they had for whatever reason decided that this guy was their messiah. They had fallen prey to his his manipulation and his supposed charisma, um, and they're looking at the same person that all of us people who never made that choice were, but we're just told that this guy is the guy. And the, the looks on everyone's faces are vastly different. Like the, the parents are completely enraptured by this guy and all the, the kids are looking around like, what the fuck? This guy, yeah. this guy, this guy is nuts. So I, I always, that memory always comes back to me. It's like being in the room and just, it's like, I don't know. Some people swallowed the pill and they just think they, once you swallow it, you can't, you can't get out of that mindset or it's very difficult. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I guess in any case, with an organization that large, um, most of the persuasion doesn't depend on the leader themselves, at least after the yeah. initial stage. Uh, it yeah. depends on them, the methods that are, uh, are used to, um, you know, get new members and to ensure that existing members are indoctrinated properly and follow the line. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I, I read about something called, you know, this love bombing. And um, so mm. uh, but maybe, maybe you, you could tell us the, the, the kinds of ways in which they would pers- persuade people to um, be true believers. Yeah. Well, so um, I'll tell you, 
I'll tell you what I know. And this is almost kind of secondhand because I was born into it. I, I didn't really, I can, I can tell you a little bit about that, but let's start at the beginning, which is, which is how people become members to begin with. So um, it typically starts um, with someone being approached um, at uh, a college campus. You know, they, they, like most cults, they, they tend to target people who are, who are young, who are in transitionary periods uh, in their lives um, when they are more susceptible to this sort of thing. That's, common across pretty much all cults um uh the way it starts is someone will walk up to you on uh usually um a member of a member of the opposite sex will come will, will come up to you it tends to be pretty highly uh i don't know the exact number but it's something like they've done studies on this of like people who join join cults most of them the first point of contact is a member of the of the is a member of the opposite sex uh and there's something in that like kind of just innate sort of sort of sexual tension of someone walking up to you on the side of the road and striking up a conversation with you that lets people's guard down and and makes them just more a little bit more susceptible in, in that first instance yeah um, yeah um so it's it's sorry yeah it usually starts like that and someone will invite you to um i don't know a, an, an event uh uh with some, some like almost like impossible to disagree with, like uh, we're, we're going to hold a, a world peace and culture event at our uh, communal house. Um, okay. Sounds, sounds interesting. We're going to hold a cultural, a cultural night in our, at, at, like you should come to a dinner at our, at our cultural night. Um, uh, and it's, that's kind of what it seems like. And you go there and there might have some people playing some music and you might have a potluck or a barbecue or something like that. And it just seems like a bunch of nice young people kind of hanging out, um, uh, you know, singing songs and stuff like that. A very kind of like kumbaya type of type of experience. Um, that's what they, that's, and, and that's where the love bombing starts, right? Like you, you get in there, you, you, you're, you're there and you all of a sudden you feel like, Oh, wow. You know, you're, you're seeing the songs. People are probably like, I don't know, holding, holding hands, putting their arms around each other, just sort of feeling, it might seem strange to you, but you're, you are feeling this kind of like love and affection of people who are strangers at that point. Um, that's how it starts. You let your guard down and then they say, okay, oh, we're, we're actually holding a workshop, um, uh, you know, this weekend, what are, why don't, why don't you come, come to our, our offsite place? Um, so then the, and it, sometimes it's like, it's a, two day event. Sometimes it's a three day, sometimes it's a seven day. I just depends on, on the setup, but they will then try and try and get you away from wherever you are to some sort of secluded place. Um, so they had a big ranch out in California, outside of San Francisco back in the day, they had a lot of places, um, and they'll take you there and it will, so you you will be sort of cut off from your friends and your family. Uh, and it will, they will start again, with the love bombing, it'll be a lot of kumbayas, a lot of let's go play some games, um, you know, barbecues, that sort of, that sort of stuff, uh, looks, looks like a lot of fun and games. And it's almost like, it looks like summer camp for, for adults basically is, is kind of the way it starts. Um, and again, there's a lot of love in that environment. Sorry, go ahead. No, it just, there's a, uh, a parallel, but I, I have my own experience in, uh, in Belfast, when I became interested in meditation as a teenager, there's not that many outlets, uh, especially at that time, like during the troubles and stuff, right? So I yeah. found a meditation group um, and and went there and and learned to meditate there. And that group uh, subsequently came to know more details about it. it. Was a group called the Friends of the Western Buddhist Order, 
Um, okay. I think now uh, has changed its name now to Chiratna. Um, but in any case, that group, um, so the experience that you're describing is somewhat similar, right? You know, mm. my, my primary experience was just a meditation group and then they had some like Dharma talks and that kind of thing and people meeting up and, uh, uh, you know, people were nice, especially nice to me because I was like a yeah. young guy who was uh, interested in it. But the FWBO uh, subsequently w- had a lot of controversy around it about uh, sexual abuse and uh, mm-hmm. kind of abuse of members and, and got a lot of accusations around, um, you know, kind of cult-like elements to it. And, and actually the main person who, who was running the meditation settings that, uh, settings that I attended is one of the main persons accused with uh, like uh, mm. a range of abuse. I didn't experience any of that, but I do remember I, I went to some meetings about, you know, uh, like kind of the discussing Buddhist things and, and then noticed just just these like slightly strange or concerning ways that they they framed like family life as negative and you know which which is kind of a part of monastic traditions anyway but this was like and i i got the feeling at the time like okay the like taking one way this is fine taking another way it's kind of emphasizing that you know the outside world is impure and what you really mm-hmm. need is spiritual friendship and it had a, a kind of emphasis on homosexual relationships which seems to have related to the uh the the kind of the founder which there's you know mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that but there's kind of pushing that on to the whole following but it, yeah. i i i only i didn't i didn't really i had a very limited contact with that group it was subsequently when i moved away that i found out a lot more about it but i yeah. I, I, it just was interesting to me that, you know, it's the, what you're describing is also the experience people have whenever they uh, become involved with like Christian groups, right? Like mainstream yeah. Christian groups. So yeah. it, I think it could be difficult and potentially uh, like in some respects, there are not that many differences between how people get recruited to mainstream religious groups and how people get um, recruited into you know, non-mainstream or or cult-like yeah. movement. So, yeah, just just uh, what you described yeah. like created a flashbulb memory. <laughs> so, it was, uh, it's, I mean, the, the similarities. Yeah, there's so many similarities. I th- I think where let me let me kind of finish that that arc, and then I think you'll see hmm. the difference between that and mainstream Christianity. Um, but so you know, you're in this, you end up in this isolated place, um, uh, and then, um the love bombing continues. It still feels like an adult summer camp. Um, but they start saying, Oh, we're going to have these lectures. Uh, and the lectures are, um, I should also say, um, you're not sleeping a lot in these environments. Uh, sometimes diet is controlled as well. Um, uh, and so they're kind of, they're kind of systematically wearing, wearing you down a little, they're, they're wearing you down with the, with the love bombing, but also they're wearing down your, your kind of core human systems, your, you know, your, your, your diet's starting to suffer, your, your, your sleep is starting to suffer. Um, uh, and then they start, they start giving you lectures, uh, first lecture of the, the so moon's moon's 
book is called The Divine Principle. First lecture is called The Principle of Creation. Uh, doesn't really talk about, doesn't talk, it, it starts pretty innocuously, quite honestly, in the grand scheme of things, especially in the grand scheme of everything that we've talked about. But um, it, it starts there and then it starts adding more and more and more um, and the lectures get more and more intense. Um, and it all kind of leads to a buildup. Um, again, you're, you're in this environment uh, where your systems are being broken down, people are, are bombarding you with, with love endorphins basically. Um, and in that environment, after breaking you down over a number of days, um, there's kind of like the big reveal, which is moon is the Messiah. Um, and, um, uh, there's, and that's kind of the moment where, you know, the, Obviously, I, I haven't been in that scenario myself, but that's that's where people either stay or go at that moment. I you know hope I'm sure some people left when they got to that point in the in the program, but a lot of people stayed. As, as clearly, my parents stayed. Uh, many other many other people stayed. Um, so, and then at that point, I mean, I, I've heard stories of people as soon as they um, they basically they get to that point, and then they're asked like, "Do you want to commit your life to to Reverend Moon and to God's providence?" Um, and some of these people a week ago, they were on their college campus. Uh, and now, now in, in the last week, uh, they've gone through what I've just described. And someone is saying, do you want to, do you want to commit your life to Reverend Moon? Um, some of them will say yes. Uh, and they'll be, they'll be encouraged to sign a piece of paper to, to, to say so. Uh, sorry, Chris. No, that I, I just wanted to highlight. I think there's an important contrast there. Um, and, and this is part of Elgin, like, uh, you know, we're, we'd be interested to talk to you in general, I think could talk to you for hours just about your experiences, but the, the contrast between what you're describing and the level of buy-in that is required for the kind of secular gurus that we cover, mm. this seems like an important distinction because what you're talking about is a, like a kind of requirement of an increasing level of commitment and, and the, you know, and, and getting more, deeply involved whereas uh for a lot of the people that we cover you know it varies depends on the person but that that model isn't there right they don't demand mm. very much just your attention yeah. and and perhaps yeah. your like patreon support um but the yeah so that it i think that might be an interesting distinction um that's common to the difference between the kind of people that, that we are covering and, and maybe yep. um, the contemporary and historic uh, cult movements. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think there's, um, but I have to say one, one thing that, that you guys do that I, I kind of, I, I kind of want any Mooney to listen to is like, you know, you guys come at this from an academic perspective and, you know, when you're talking about ex guest um, you'll, you'll basically point out like, you know, this, these are, these are the, uh, the logical missteps that this person is making uh you know there's an ad hominem attack like what okay like even just just knowing what that is uh a lot of moonies probably wouldn't even know what that meant uh and so um i just i feel like actually having a background in the sort of thinking that you guys do and actually i i love just taking the piss out of people and if anyone needs to have the piss taken out of them it's moon as well as all the other guys that you've that, that, that you've that you've taken on um like i just uh, I like the idea of just trying to like take the guy down a peg and, and the way that you guys do it, I just think is really interesting for people from 
my background who may not have that sort of that sort of academic academic approach but i do, i do feel like it's it's actually very valuable and if people if people you know would spend a little bit of time there they might they might learn something and those things might help them to spot the similarities between you know moon and some of these other gurus um and then you know may, maybe be like oh i mean i should change something about my life um so i guess all i just say i feel like there are a lot of similarities and that's what kind of you know led me led me to um you know to to think that we should we should connect yeah 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 well uh, a lot of the things you described about the indoctrination process for the moonies is uh, classic um, coercive yeah. persuasion, um, yeah. classic brainwashing techniques, the, the stuff yeah. you described, the, that sort of controlling the social and physical environment. So yeah. it's that there's like nothing else and gradually wearing people down. Um, and um, the, yeah, like restricting sleep, of course. <laughs> Just yeah. like, so that whole total, like, you, you know, you, you talked about it being a totalizing or, or a total type of thing. That's like, so it's totalizing in every respect, isn't it? It's yes. like, there's, yeah, there's no time for anything else there's there's yeah you're, 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 there, there is no dissent like everyone around yeah. you is 100 percent on yeah. board and, and it takes advantage of the fact that we are social creatures right and we are all strongly influenced by our our social environment so if you can control that environment um given enough time you can you can control the, um the person so um yeah. so, Matt, so you're obviously... here voluntarily that's all i just want to make that clear to everyone yeah i was slightly too strong <laughs> I, I i did note some of the similarities because uh, <laughs> it is very early in the morning and chris does kept me up late last night and um but, I don't you're seem free, to have any social life go. anymore. What's going on? Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Sun Young Moon said this, that this, too. This interview yeah, yeah. is really yeah. oh yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he loved telling people how much he was suffering on their on their behalf. That was that was his his thing. He would oh tell them how like yeah, just he 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 said he only slept like three hours a night for like decades, basically. Um, and, yeah, like that sort of thing. Um, no, so, no, you know. <laughs> Matt, before you you try to paint me as a, a burgeoning sun moon, the I, I the person on this podcast who often mentions their suffering for their art, who has endured six hours of Joe Rogan, lest we forget, is it's not me. It's not me. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. You know, right. there's plenty plenty of blame to go around. All right. Okay. So back on uh, back on yeah. point. Um. So, sorry. Uh, but that's all right. Um. Did Did you want to jump in there, Elgin? Oh no. So I actually just wanted to. You say, Chris. You said something about about uh, MLM uh, earlier, multi-level oh, yeah. marketing, and the similarities. And I actually I just wanted to say I would. Um. So, uh, well, I, I I just thought of something else. I'll come back to that. Let's talk about MLMs for a second. So, um. So I you know I, I was indoctrinated in in the unification church throughout my entire childhood. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but specifically on MLM. So I I kind of mentally left when I was around 18. So I was still in, I was still in college, um. And when I was in college, uh, a friend of mine had joined an MLM, uh, and invited me to their to like the MLM event, um. And so I went there. Have you guys ever been to one of these things? No. <laughs> okay. Mm. Okay. Um, so I just, I went there and um, they basically, you know, they're trying to pitch you to become a member of the MLM uh, and they have all these like success stories that they're, that they're pitching. And then it, it all kind of builds up to when 
there, like their top producer uh, is going to, is going to come and give a motivational speech. And everyone is talking about it. Everyone's like, oh man, Mr. X is going to come. It's going to be great. Can't wait to see him. And I see the looks on these people's faces. And I'm like, I know that look. I know I I've, I have seen that before. Um, I, and then when Mr. X, I forget his name, cause this was a long time ago, but when he trots out and the music starts blaring and he gets on, gets on stage and everyone starts clapping, uh, you know, completely enthralled by him. It's, it's the same thing. The, like the alarm bells were ringing in my head and I was like, no, nah, I've, I've, I've seen this all before. This is identical. The type of adoration that people have for this guy is the the same it's, it's the exact same thing that 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 the moonies have this is uh, that's really interesting because you know you can think about it in a way about people who are survivors of cults that they've they've built up you know kind of a, an immune system to that that recognizes when oh yeah that, that potential danger and uh i the, i think that's part of the reason why you know your podcast is very useful in that respect for people who haven't gone through that experience and can kind of, you know, parasitically uh, get <laughs> some of the insight. But I I was thinking, Elgin, about the point that you made um, uh, a bit earlier about this kind of trajectory of charisma, right? That like maybe in the early stages, being this charismatic figure is quite important. But but after mm. you've amassed your following, you don't need to try so hard. And there's, there's lots of people I can think of that fit that like... Uh, uh sylvia brown i don't know if you know her she was like a, a, a psychic um uh person who communicates with the dead in america and, yeah. and, and became very famous for this you know going on oprah or that kind of thing okay. and apparently was once you know quite a, a proficient cold reader so throwing out questions and getting the audience to kind of give her details right and then she'll say oh mm. i hear you know i hear a tea uh tim and the, get the people to elicit the information for you um but but as she got older, she just, you know, was like famously, uh, you know, short and kind of like, uh, you know, people would say, no, what, what's happening? And she went on TV and there were parents trying to look for a missing, the missing child. And she was just mm-hmm. like, the kid's dead. He's, you know, thing. and it, it turned out the kid was not dead. This is why it became a, uh, a famous case. But like she she wasn't, you know, she didn't need to be charismatic anymore. She just threw yeah. out very straight things and um that that point um about the the kind of you know in the gurus that we look at when i see jordan peterson for example now he's become quite belligerent and um Mm -hmm. especially with the trucker convoy in a way that like i think if he'd emerged like that people wouldn't have had such a a a degree of tolerance for him and you on the q anon anonymous episode um I, I'm pretty sure it was there. If I'm mixing up one of your episodes, you can correct me. But okay. there were some extracts played from a talk that Moon gave about yeah. ultimate sex, perfect sex. Or... <laughs> absolute sex. Absolute, absolute get it, sex. Get it right, Chris. Get it right, Chris. It's called absolute <laughs> sex. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind, I would like to ask you to explain that. But I also wanted to mention that like when I listened to it, uh, apart from the insanity of what was saying, it didn't, it sounded, you know, just like not charismatic and kind of stated in a like, you know, lecturing tone and stuff. And there was, there wasn't an, much of an attempt to draw people in. It was just like somebody just talking about what is 
ultimate no we absolute <laughs> sex uh, yeah in in a way as if like they don't really need to convince people they're just going to tell you the I, way I, it is yeah I, I know what you and i almost i would almost describe it as as hostility in yeah. his in his approach there like like he almost it almost like it was almost like so i guess number one i was in the room when that when that speech happened uh in 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 washington dc uh so um and that was one of those moments when i was looking around like what the what the fuck is this what what, what is happening here um, have, do you oh. know what absolute sex is uh, just out of curiosity <laughs> Um, I I read <laughs> references to this, but I I certainly never experienced it, and I'm I'm not entirely sure what it is. So. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, that's what uh, I thought, Matt. Are you are you, are you asking like me the... to, to, to enlighten you? Um, yeah, what yeah. what are some tips? You know, so, uh, <laughs> you know, it's ba- <laughs> yeah, it's basically so. Moon, uh, he had this. Oh God! How do you even describe it? Uh, so, it's it's his view of the 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 antithesis of so-called free sex or free love, um, which he he had a lot of disdain for. So I think it, he had a lot of disdain for anything that wasn't completely like like heteronormative monogamy, basically, um, because of his view that something outside of that caused the downfall of humanity. Um, uh, I'm sure it will not surprise you to hear that against that backdrop, this is a guy who was sleeping with all the women, had many different wives, many, you know, many illegitimate children, all this sort of stuff. Uh, not going to shock anyone to, to, to hear that, but um, on, on paper, he was, he was all about, you know, one man, one woman for your whole life, basically. Um and then, and in his view, like that was the sort of, I don't even, I, I, it might even even been like a translation error or something that just couldn't even been translated from Korean correctly, because it just sounds kind of weird in, in English, but almost like the idea of like, this is the, the purest, most like uh, closest to God type of experience you could have is this like one man, one wife, uh, if you've been married and blessed by Reverend Moon, basically. Uh, it's meant to like elevate your sexual experience to the next level. Um, as, as someone who, who has had so-called absolute sex and so-called free sex, um, I, I can tell you that there, there's no goddamn difference between the two. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I, I do think, you know, that it, it sounds like if he had hired you, simply to do like a, a, a proofread because you know pure sex sounds much cure closer to the concept than absolute sex which, which <laughs> sounds know, yeah. like you're you're <laughs> advocating like a, a tantric approach that you know will yeah will take your 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 sexual prowess to the next level so absolute sex i i, I definitely have not experienced that i, <laughs> I just think yeah it's i also, this was in his, in his kind of waning days when I think he was going crazy. I actually, I, I, I look back on, on that tape and I almost feel like he just really, he kind of didn't even give a toss. He just, he was like, I'm just going to go out and scream at these people and whatever. I don't, I don't really care. He'd kind of, he'd kind of done everything he needed to do at that point. And I think uh, almost, almost like, you know how sometimes movie, movie stars, they, they get like, they like, they don't even like their fans. They get, they can be kind of belligerent towards their fans. Um, yeah. It kind of felt like that at that point in his so-called career. 
that's a, the uh, uh, I'm thinking about Marlon Brando <laughs> when you <laughs> mentioned that, but th- that uh, that kind of like anger, and I I did want to mention this as well. So it it's good that you uh, brought it up that uh, you know the the Washington Times. Uh, yeah, I I think a lot of people, including myself, were unaware. The, like know that that is a right wing outlet. We're not aware yeah. that it was connected with the Moonies, and yeah. I, um, a, also on the QAnon anonymous episode that was dealing with the Iron Rod Ministries Church. Mm-hmm. The the thing that might have surprised some people if they listened to that episode is this is quite a an unusual group. It's it's got people you know with like bullet paraphernalia all around the uh, yeah, bullet uh, crowns. Yeah, it's so it, it's like it's quite you know it's quite crazy looking. But the thing that was notable was that you had uh, uh, Steve Bannon and Steve Bannon and was there. Donald yeah. Trump, I I think yeah. was briefly yeah, um, skyping in. So, so Donald Trump didn't speak. So this is there's there's been a there's been a there's been a split in the Moonies between uh, one of Moon's sons sons and. Uh, the widow, the Moon's widow, along with actually, I mean, technically it's kind of split in three. There's another son uh, who, through a series of shady legal maneuvers, actually kind of stole all the assets, including the sushi business uh, and a bunch of real estate that they own. It's some real kind of Game, game of Thrones stuff mm. is, is, has happened there. Um, but yeah, so that the um, so Bannon has spoken at the Rod of Iron um, events. Um, Trump spoke at a, a mainline Mooney Mooney event in um uh I think it was January of last year. Uh and I think he's in line to speak at another one this year. Um mm. and I guess I think this is I, I want to shed some light on this because this is something that's been happening for decades. Um and the way the way it works is so the 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 Moon Empire, which is a you know a, a criminal organization in my in my view. Um they will host these events uh, around the world with uh, hosted by by um, organizations with names like the International Federation for World Peace or the Universal Peace Federation or the Women's Federation for World Peace, the Summit Council for World. Peace. There's there's literally there's tons and tons of names and they, they always come up with new ones, but they're all relatively innocent, harmless sounding events. Um, and um, they will then uh, invite big name speakers to these events and pay them a speaking fee. Um, in many cases, the speakers don't actually even know um, who it's organized by. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes they find out ahead of time and they pull out. Sometimes they find out ahead of time and they, they just kind of give a, like they just kind of phone in the, the performance once they figured out what's going on. That actually kind of famously happened with Bill Cosby in the nineties. Um, I was, I was at that speech as well. So Bill Cosby was kind of like semi conned into speaking to this thing. Uh, and he didn't really know what was happening, but once he figured it out, he gave, gave a really shitty performance basically. Uh, but he still collected the fee. Um, uh, and then, but th- yeah. Um, but this is, this is what's happening. So, so, okay. That happened with Bill Cosby. It happened with all kinds of people, but it's happening now with Trump it happened with Mike Pence. It happened with Mike Pompeo. Um, it also happened with uh, Dr. Sarah Gilbert, the, the inventor of the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. Uh, Juan Manuel Barroso, the uh, former uh, 
chairman of the European Council, uh, who's also chairman uh, of Goldman Sachs right now. Um, all of these people have, in the last 18 months, spoken at one of these events. They've taken money, um, which is built on the backs of kids dying during labor trafficking runs, um, for speaking at these events. Um, and you, you, you could take, I mean, maybe you just think like, fine, that's what political grift is. But what's happening off the back of that is um, the Moonies are then telling all their members, they're like, look, the world is now accepting Moon as, mm. as they're accepting the legitimacy of Moon. Look, we got Pence at our, at our event. Trump is speaking at our, at our event. Trump is, Trump, Trump is actually a Moonie at, at his core. Uh, he just can't come out and say it, but he's one of us. Um, so all of these people who have any clout um, who speak at these events are uh, that clout is being used to perpetuate this this cycle of abuse, um, and that's a dynamic that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. Uh, but that's that is happening. That's been happening for decades. I remember that happening in the '80s when I was a kid, and they were doing these events. There's there's two just quick things, uh, Elgin, and, and I know Matt has a, a question for you. Um, that, yeah. So what you're describing is also what Scientology does, right? It does have Scientology branded organizations, but it has like Citizens Commission on Human Rights, the way the Happiness yeah. Foundational International. Uh, and similar. Narco, Narco Non. <laughs> That's a terrible name, international. Mm. But but same kind of idea. Yeah. And the other parallel that like uh, came to mind there was that the secular gurus we look at mm. are always trying to, you know, bolster their credentials by speaking mm -hmm. to experts get speaking to people in elite positions so there's there's this kind of um desire to to link themselves to to just be in discussion and be a player in the room so you know yeah. I, I think that dynamic is similar and uh matt mm. sorry i i i probably leapt in and sent you off on a tangent but um i think you had something you wanted to ask uh no, actually, well, um, I was going to make a similar comment um, that, um, yeah, that, that parallel that the gurus crave legitimacy. Yeah. Um, that's, that's generally the one thing that they, that they do truly lack um, and they desperately want it. Um, and I think that's also true of the, you know, the, these new churches or cults and so on, um, because what they really want to do is to um, tell the tell their followers or tell prospective new recruits that they have privileged access to the truth. And, and they do that obviously as much as possible by being uh, conveying absolute certainty um, in conveying their beliefs to you. Um, you know, I'm sure you can tell us that a lot of the specific things that they are promoting the ideas are, you know, incoherent, illogical yes. nonsense yeah, absolutely <laughs> absurd but you yeah, um, absolute sex is completely rationally water watertight <laughs> yeah, that's right it can only be obtained with very expensive chemicals so yeah um the, uh, the um yeah but if you but I, I guess you know one thing we all know is that if you say something completely absurd with utter utter certainty um it doesn't seem to matter as much as we think it um, or two mm, um yeah um yeah um so look i mean getting back to to the parallels though i think chris yeah. is right in the sense that you know I, I think most of our gurus do not what what they don't have is the is the full-on totalizing world yes. view yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, um, I, I agree. And, and you know, yeah. they, they don't have mm-hmm. this like army of people. Well, some, some some of them might, but not in not in the same with the same sort of infrastructure that the that the Moonies do. The same level of of organization that the that the Moonies do. Um, yeah, so they they may lack that. Um, but it is it is it is similar. I just see so many layers. Mm-hmm. Actually, actually, I, I I should say one of the things that um. One of the one of the reasons that I started the show, um, and it's not the only reason. There are many reasons, but um, for whenever, whenever Trump started his rise to power in in the U.S. before he became president, but when he started, uh, you know, when he started his political ascendancy, um, those those alarm bells started ringing. The one the one the same alarm bells that were ringing in, in that MLM place. Uh, you know, many years earlier, uh, they started ringing when I saw, when I saw Trump, I want to stop what he was saying, the way he was saying it and how people were reacting to it. It was like, I've, I've seen this before. Uh, and, and, and that became a common rallying cry amongst us, former, former second generation Moonies. A lot of us started talking about it. Like this is, this is the same thing. Um, and yeah, like they operate in the same mode. And I think part of it is that like, um, well, as, as you said, that that undying certainty, certainty of knowing that you're right uh, and just being able to say whatever you want and say it with such conviction that no matter how ludicrous it is, that someone's going to believe you. And that's the same. It's the same with Moon. It's the same with Trump and um, same with a lot of the gurus that you talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, I was I was working towards the same point, actually, which is that, um, you know, conceding that these um full-on cults have taken it to like it's the full treatment and it's and it's 100 yeah. percent um yeah. uh, but that that doesn't mean that you one can't see some of the same elements along a spectrum um and you know p- people call it cultishness uh, mm. in order to um convey that idea of a spectrum and i refer people to uh, a previous interview we've done with um amanda montel who's got a um mm. a good book called cultish so um no i'm so basically i'm just totally agreeing with you that you can you can see um some of the same elements um like let's, let's just take trump as an example because he's he's well known yeah he's yeah. you know utter total, total total certainty um a lack of concern with with you know truth or internal um, consistency or things being coherent it doesn't really matter um you know really building up an alternative worldview which is sort of divergent from from the rest of society and you're kind of in or you're out and obviously um maga leading on to QAnon, some people do go along that road um i don't think it's as totalizing as um the, the kind of thing that that you unfortunately yeah. experienced but it's on the same spectrum yeah yeah absolutely and and I, one thing that comes to mind there is um the well so it it's well documented that people People who, who leave cults are more susceptible to joining another cult later than the average person. And it's long story short, it's because they've they're they've been conditioned to to want a certain amount of structure in their life and you'll know, want the certain things that the cult provides. And then when they leave, they still some people are still craving that. Um, and so the unfortunate reality for a lot of a lot of people who have left um, is that some of them get sucked back into other things um, that are maybe not as destructive, but still quite destructive. Um, So thing like, it's a very common, especially amongst our our parents' generation, a lot of them are like 
full full on Trump QAnon anti-vax. Uh, they've gone, they've drunk all that, all that Kool-Aid. To use another cult term, term. Um, but there's there's a there's a pretty like well well defined pipeline that you can see of of uh, yeah people sort of adopting those those viewpoints. Even some some will stay in the Moonies and then and then add those on top. But even some who leave the Moonies, they end up just getting getting sucked into that worldview amongst other destructive worldviews. Uh, yeah. that, that leads to a question I, I had for you, Elgin, about the, in part, the reception of what you're doing, uh, how it's received by yeah. other, other like current members or other second generation um, yeah. people that are still in the movement. Because I can't yeah. help but think about, and I, I don't know a huge amount about this topic, so I'm going on a very like superficial impression, but uh, for for instance, with second generation Scientology people, like I know Beck and and some other famous performers are, you know, are, were born in Scientology. And some of them have come out, you know, critical of the organization. But I would say the mm. more common thing is essentially to be defensive and to say that, okay, well, look, people are raised Christian, people are raised Buddhist or, or Muslim. And this is just a different you know expression of religion so uh, you shouldn't be like you know it, it's stigma stigmatizing to to kind of uh yeah to to present it as that this is an exploitive cult because i just grew up you know around my parents mm. doing doing services or whatever and and other people have religions that do the same thing and so i'm i'm curious about your thoughts about uh whether you've experienced that kind of response from people and and more generally mm. how your efforts have been received by by people within the moonies um and and i imagine in your case that you you have family members and uh, you know a lifetime's network of connections mm. and does that disappear when you do the kind of thing that you're doing or are you still, you know, do you still have contact with people that are members? That's that a lot of questions, but I'm yeah. Curious. So okay, there will I actually okay, I'm I actually want to start with the, the the beginning of that thread where you talked about the sort of um the the apologist viewpoint that it's yeah. you know it was just kind of a normal thing, it wasn't that bad. Um to be honest, I, I actually had that viewpoint for a long time. So I kind of I intellectually left when I was 18. Uh, I ended up accepting an arranged marriage because there was so much pressure to do it. Um, and uh, that marriage lasted uh, for 15 years. Uh, and it was it wasn't a bad experience all, all in all the, the, the marriage. Um, but we ended up we ended up parting ways about four or five years ago now. Um, but something about like that experience of then, uh, so that marriage at the end of the day was, was still like part of, it, it was the foundation of that was, was the cult. Uh, and so even though I sort of felt like it wasn't like, it wasn't that bad, it couldn't, it was just kind of this, this mm. sort of, sort of kooky thing. But at the end of the day it was, it was controlling the biggest relationship of my life. Mm. Um, and somehow in that moment of, uh, you know, getting divorced, I could, that was the first time that I felt like I could actually look back with crystal, with crystal clear eyes and not have anything colored by my experiences or the, the pressures that I felt to keep the marriage together, et cetera. And so all of a sudden I could look back and be like, I was, what the, what the hell was that? Why, why did I do that? Um, why did I give the first half of my life to this, to this 
thing, um, this, you know, bullshit basically. Uh, and, and I couldn't really do that without the clarity of, I, I couldn't look at it honestly without the clarity of the, the marriage like dissolving. Um, mm. So all that is to say that I an apologist view of like, ah, eh, it wasn't that bad. But, uh, but then uh, there was a, a very clear moment in time when my perspective shifted massively. Um, and in that moment, um, that's when I started um, reading books about other, um, about other cults and taking courses. Um, uh, eventually that led me to doing the podcast. But dur- during that process, I, one particular thing really, really stood out to me. And we haven't really talked a lot about the, um, the sort of indoctrination that we underwent when, when we were kids. But uh, suffice it to say, there was a, a lot of it um, in, in, various, in various formats. Um, and for a long time, I sort of, I felt like it was kind of like, well, the, the parents were just sort of trying to do their best for the kids. Like they didn't really know what they were doing, but they were, they, their, their hearts were in the right place. Uh, that, that was a perspective that I had for a long time. And then um, going back to this idea of, of looking at other cults and how they, how they might relate to yours or, or other ways of thinking. Um, I read a book. Um, I actually couldn't even finish the book because it was quite disturbing to me personally, but I read enough of it and it was, it was written by um, two sisters who had, who had left the, the children of God cult, um, which is a notorious, notorious cult. Uh, and in that book, they talk about uh, a, a moment in the, in the history of that cult where um, the, the leadership uh, basically recognizes that um, all the parents joined and had these intense conversion experiences. Uh, now we have all these kids, they're growing up, they're hitting their teenage years. Um, if we don't do something to to incite those same conversion experiences in them, they are going to leave. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, thus began in the children of God a concerted, top down effort to indoctrinate their second generation kids. Um, and for me, that was a real epiphany because I realized that's exactly what happened to me. It wasn't a bunch of parents just trying to sort of figure it out. It was actually a top-down indoctrination program that encompassed my entire life. Um, and that's, that's fucked up. So I'm sorry. Like, like, and, and I'm here to push back against that and, ex- and expose that. Um, and again, so this, this all happened. So I, I went from that apologist view to the, fuck these guys view um through that through that through that journey like i'm gonna burn their fucking house down if i can um through that through that journey and that's where i am now i'm firmly in that camp if you if you haven't picked up on that Um, (laughs) yeah that vibe is that vibe is there and i i think right on uh, as well but i so the I, I threw so many questions at you, yeah. that you, you, you answered the, the first part, um, which, yep. which was, uh, I, and the second part that I, I, I was curious about was the reception yep. of what you're doing, given that you yeah. are in a burn it down mode. Um, yep. how, how is that? Res- I, I guess not received that well <laughs> in the apologist um, kind of stance, but yeah. So it, you know what, you know what is absolutely hilarious um is i have heard nothing for i I, i've it's actually kind of disappointing zero hate mail at 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 all uh like just just nothing um complete silence uh from from them no no one has said anything um uh 
a couple of things have happened. Apparently, I've, I've heard through the grapevine that the Unification Church is now specifically instructing people, instructing members not to listen to my podcast, um, which is which is great because that's just going to make more people listen to it. Yeah. Um, so I know that that's happening. The, the closest thing that I've gotten to any sort of pushback from from existing members was uh, a single like Facebook comment um, where someone had posted uh, on Facebook like um, a link to my to my show and, and put some comments on it. I'm not reactive on Facebook, but this this happened, uh, and I was like tagged in it, and I started looking at the comments that were that were there, and. Um, so a member said, oh, this, I, I just feel so sad for this guy that he felt so angry, like that he had to, that he, he had to do this. Uh, and he must be in a really like depressed and, and lonely part of his life. Um, and I, I kind of, I, oh, and they also said no good can come of this. Uh, that was specifically what they said. And and so I, I wrote back, I actually try, I avoided the part where they, they, they tried to impugn my mental state um but i specifically replied back like look like can we just talk about some of the positive things that have happened here um like multiple people have left an abusive environment um uh that was terrible for them uh something else that that's happened is is therapists um who are treating second generation moonies are now listening to the show so that they can better understand the people that they're treating, which is a huge win for me. I mean, to, to think that, you know, the show would be used in that context is, is amazing. Um, so I put that in there as well. Like, Hey, me- licensed trained mental health professionals are using the show to provide better care to their patients who are in desperate need of it. That would appear to be a positive outcome as opposed to a negative outcome. Um, yeah. And that that's, that's all I've heard from, from the, from the, the, the existing membership. Um, so barely anything, which again, slightly disappointed by not, not getting any hate mail. Um, so, so Elgin, you, you, you mentioned that, um, like one of the things you like is, uh, is pricking the, the hot air balloon of the mystique and the authority yeah. of, 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 of this kind of thing. And, um, yeah. and you, you know, taking the piss and as Australian, yeah. I'm all in favor of that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but especially with gurus as well. So yeah. I'm just wondering what other methods of de-persuasion, if you like, um, what, like, do you, have you come across or are you trying to implement, mm. like, how would you, you know, I think about this a lot, like when you're talking to a, someone who's anti-vax or something like that, yeah. you, in many ways you are running up against the same issues that you'd be running up against trying to talk to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and actually I have to say, so um uh, Unfortunately for me, one of my family members has been a staunch anti-vax person for a long time. Um, they and I've tried to engage them in a dialogue about the evidence that would support their their viewpoint. Um, that has not been met well by by them, as I'm sure would is not going to surprise you. Um, uh, but their um, responses were identical to what we heard from people in the cult. Uh, so, so things like, Oh, you wouldn't understand this because you just don't have the right perspective. So I, I wouldn't expect you to understand this. Um, and um, I actually, I, I actually pointed it out to this person and said, by the way, what you're saying right now is exactly what people would say when they were leaving the, the cult that we both know we were in before um, that was not met positively either um 
So it's a real struggle to be honest. Uh, it's, it's, it's a real struggle. I, um, and I, in a sense, I just, I know it takes a lot of patience. And if you it, like the literature about the people who have actually been able to successfully sort of repeatedly remove people from cults, um, it's all about, it's all about empathy and patience and trying to understand where they're at, um, as opposed to trying to, um, inter- relate to them, uh, you know, on the, about the things that that matter to them. Um, I find that very hard to do. Um, it's, it's difficult, especially when you're having an infuriating conversation full of circular logic. Um, and when they when you point that out, it's just, it's, you get gaslit into being told that you're the bad guy. Um, that, that seems to be all of those conversations for me tend to f- end up in that, in that end point. Um, uh, you're the bad guy for attacking my point of view here. Um, mm, yeah. and that, that seems to be like, for and yeah, almost all the conversations, not just anti-vax, but like current Moonies, all this stuff. Like if it gets to that point, then I become the bad guy for challenging things effectively. I- I think that's part of why the what you're doing with the podcast is valuable because you know you put the conversations on and you know it, it's not all doom and gloom, right? You guys have fun, no, as, as, as much, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying you, yeah. it's a barrel of laughs all the time, but like you you do joke about things and have you know a dark sense of humor about it, which I think I, I can appreciate. I know Matt would as well, and I I think in some respect by you putting the content you know up there in a podcast it means that people can reach it when they're ready and and yes. that's a that's a valuable thing you know if if you know that resource um is available so i i i'm just putting a vote for you know don't necessarily be disheartened if you have to deal with a, a lot of similar such conversations because things as as i'm sure you know elgin i think those things can have a uh like knock-on effect even if it's not immediate yeah yeah and i certainly i think podcasting is a perfect method perfect medium for this because as you say like i i've done like uh, you know i haven't asked anyone to listen to my show i just i you know i publish it i put it out there obviously you know i do i do promotion here and there but i've never asked a church member to listen to it it's just it's it's out there for people to find when they want it i'm not going to push it in their faces you kind of need to be ready for it if you're if you're starting to question things in a you know coming from an environment like that mm. so um elton you know the format of our show we, we like to find some content yeah some audio video yeah. content and, and sort of yeah. analyze the shit out of it um yeah. i'm just wondering like i mean but these cults are often quite secretive and things have yeah. behind closed doors yeah uh, are you aware of like published material uh, or that one might analyze to sort of. Yes, yeah. absolutely. A- absolutely. Um, I can think of a, f- a few uh, very choice um, historical documents uh, that are available in full, full, uh, full vi- video and audio glory. Uh, yes, there are many um, The the beauty of, you know, some cults, especially this one, is they like to document as much as they as, as much as they can. So uh, there's a web. So first of all, there's a website that has like pretty much every word Moon ever spoke uh, over the course of you know 70 years of doing whatever he did. Uh, but there's also a lot of videos on YouTube. So yes, I can I can recommend. Oh. Is the short answer. 
Elgin, you and I have talked offline about this, but uh, I think it's a, um, a a good time to mention to the listeners that the I think this conversation there's there's probably a lot more that we would both want to ask you about your experiences and and also you know the parallels and lack of parallels when it comes to some of the stuff that we cover in the secular gurus. But um, we we plan to do another episode, assuming that you have are still willing <laughs> after, after I'm willing yeah, absolutely. with us. Um, where we, we do that, we look at some content that you recommend uh, off Reverend yeah. Moon and, and approach it like in the same way um, with you on as a, as a co-host. So, um, so yeah, it, it just to say that uh, from my point of view, this has been extremely interesting. I, I could go on asking you a ton of questions but unfortunately my my kids will wake up and start screaming soon um, right. okay. so, so so uh yeah thanks very much for for coming on and and we'll be very happy to have you back on and uh and analyze the 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 man who you know okay. caused you a lot I of trouble wait. i can't wait <laughs> yeah. i i cannot wait for him to get treatment from you guys uh, <laughs> uh so thank you for the opportunity for this conversation but thank you in advance for the the conversation for the the, the opportunity for the piss take in the future um yeah great so thank you very much yeah uh, yeah that'd be that's good. super that'd be really good <laughs> and uh and uh, look um congratulations Elgin, for um getting that podcast out there it sounds super helpful to me to just have guests on that have you know, de-trans, you know, exited in the same way you did and sharing your experiences. I know that these things often persist through shame and secrecy and all of these yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So well done you. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to the uh, decoding. You'll have to help us. It'll be good. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, great. Thanks guys. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I will put all the links in the show notes as show notes okay. as, as we okay. usually do. But uh, the okay. podcast is the Falling Out podcast and can be found on all the usual kind of podcasty internet places. Um, yeah, I just so look for Falling Out. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it's it's been a pleasure, Elgin, and um, we'll continue the conversation next time. And there we have it, part one with Chris Kavanaugh and Matt Brown. Thank you so much to Chris and Matt for participating. And as I said at the beginning of this episode, I think you should really stick around for the next one, which is going to come out in a week. I think it has the potential to be a cornerstone episode of Falling Out, where we jointly decode the babble of one Sun Myung Moon, the psycho babble of one sun myung moon with two experts in the field of decoding psycho babble i think it's awesome and i really hope you'll stick around for it also i want to say if you're looking at the portrait of these two guys i think it's amazing i feel like they look like they're in in like an anime boy band it is fucking beautiful as always thank you to the cast characters around here thank you to luciana straight for the boy band portraits (laughs) And thank you to Teddy Hose for doing the graphic design. Please, everyone, stick around. I'll see you next time. Bye.